So Jeremy and I decided to become Clippers fans recently. This has been a great decision. I think we've gotten ourselves into a (laughs) great fan base and a great, you know, establishment institution sports-wise. Yeah, so this all came about because we moved to L.A. a while ago and... We didn't really have any strong sports allegiances. Not here, no. I mean, back back, back east, we have some allegiances, but not in the L.A. We got Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi we Bay. got... Uh, who's the other one? Paul. Paul. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you can see that we're really great fans. From late June to early August, we took a 14,000-mile cross-country road trip to get away from the world. It brought us to 20 national parks, 33 states, 46 cities, and 43 national monuments, forests, memorials, grasslands, and recreation areas. So in each episode, we'll outline one of our stops, talk about the history of the place, our impressions, and a piece of dark history tea associated with it. It's going to be dramatic, scandalous, dare I say captivatingly funny... And hopefully it inspires your next trip in the United States. This is Road Boys with Jeremy and Jacob. Welcome to another episode of... Road Boys. Oh, that's what... And you know what? Some might call it the real deal. <laughs> it's It truly is. And you haven't said that in a while. And we have to remind people that. I know. I went back and listened to an old episode recently. And I was like, I forgot I used to say that. So there it was. You're welcome, America. It didn't go anywhere. It's always been the real deal, and I still cannot roll my R's. You're goddamn right. And this week, what did we do this week? Let's think about it. Um, Oh, go ahead. I, I know on the TV front, we watched some excellent television. Oh, my God. We watched fucking Mayor of Easttown on HBO. Good TV is back. What can I say? So amazing. I mean, <laughs> Kate Winslet gave me everything that I wanted from Mare. She gave me like just real person vibes, not actress Kate Winslet, but real person. I was absolutely glued to the television screen. I That is a must watch. You know what? I'm going to say it. It's a must watch. I agree with you. And um, so you have Kate. You also have her friend, the friend in that show, the the character Lore. Whoever played her, she was fantastic, too. I was a Nicholson. Yes. Um, Nicole. All right. Uh, Besides (laughs) that, we have watched more Twin Peaks. Are you following along at home? And reminder, you could be following along on our social media, Facebook, Instagram at Road Boys Podcast. And, of course, if you have any dying questions or things you want to tell us or comments, concerns, death threats, all of it, it's our Gmail, roadboyspodcast at gmail.com. Gmail.com. We have the Gmail sponsorship. (laughs) I wish. But (laughs) what we do have is a fantastic run of Twin Peaks. What do you think, Jeremy? Oh, I love, I mean, I don't know what other shows give off 
an aesthetic the way that Twin Peaks gives off an aesthetic to me, you know? And yeah, it, it has a very strong identity as a show. Yes. I mean, not just like it's, oh, the 90s, or you can tell it's the no, no. I think that if they you put the aesthetic of the show anytime, you would definitely feel gloomy, rainy, kind of calming, but also like something's off. You know, it's all it, it has all of that in there. There's so much going on in Twin Peaks, so make sure you're following along. Watch with us uh, mm-hmm. as we continue that journey. And also, we just started Mildred Pierce. Yeah, we're on a Kate Winslet bend. <laughs> well, I mean, Kate Winslet is so versatile. She offers so much range. I mean, the range that she's giving me is like, take out your horses, get your cowboys ready. We're on the fucking range, okay? We're on the range, on the on the big range, Little House on the Prairie. Yes. So Kate Winslet, my everything. I'm excited for more Mildred Pierce. Me too. And we're still waiting for season three of The Circle. And when that comes back, we'll watch it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, The Circle. I you know I still think about that show sometimes. Uh, it's obviously just shows our range of interest. Another 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 big range. Our interests in different type of TV. I think it's good to have that diversity in there. Yes, from Mildred Pierce to the circle. Yes, the one thing I won't accept is, of course, Ozark and that quality of television, which, by the way, I'm still mad about Laura Linney's performance. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot to be mad about, and I'd say we can cancel her, so she's canceled on her end. Okay, there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. What else has gone on this week? Have we done anything else special? Oh, we went to Costco. That Was that, was that last week? Did we talk about that? And we did not talk about it, but we did go to Costco. Fun times, fun times. Good pizza, <laughs> good good pizza at Costco. Let me tell you that. Well, yeah, by your standards, by ten dollars, ten dollars. You're talking to someone large. who who grew up in New Jersey, so well, uh, you're true. not gonna woo me with that. Um, and Jeremy's birthday is coming up. Yes, my birthday. And of course, my. First question was, how do I make this about me? And I think that we found a way. We did it. We really did find a way so we can all go home happy. Yes. Yeah, so well, my my half birthday is on June 11th because mm. my real birthday is December 11th. So June mm. 11th. And Jeremy's real birthday is on June 13th. Yes. So, so. of course, this weekend we will be celebrating my half birthday yes nothing else is going on this week it's his half birthday we have to have some cake and celebrate exactly i mean you know i hate when there's something that's going to be about somebody else because i need to find a way to make it relate to me to be about me to have myself included in what's going on would would it being your friend Jeremy's birthday not be about you enough? No, absolutely not. You know not the it. person. You know the person. <laughs> <laughs> no, there has to be something else going on. So I'm very glad it's also my half birthday. It's your half birthday. Congratulations. All right. That's enough dilly-dallying around here, Jeremy. Damn it. You're mm. wasting time. I'm sorry. Because today we have an absolutely incredible show. Uh, last week we were in... Idaho. Yeah, Idaho. It's crazy. The last two episodes, just time-wise, relatively speaking, have happened happened all in one day. We were in Salt Lake City in Idaho in one day. 
Yeah, we were. And now we get a string of national parks coming up uh, in yes. our future episodes. Um, a little side note, I believe we will be off next week uh, as Jeremy's birthday. Yeah, as Jeremy's fake, you know, real birthday thing going on and my, of course, very real half birthday going on. Yeah, yeah, it'll take it'll take a little a little break, but you know we're still we're still gonna be making content for you. We're not gonna take that much time off, just the week. Yeah, so then the week after we'll be back with another episode, and season two will be rolling on. So in that vein, from Idaho, we went to Jeremy. We went to the Grand Tetons, the national park, and also connected to it, it's Gateway Town, Jackson, Wyoming. So Jackson, Wyoming and Grand Teton National Park. Grand Teton's a park that I loved. I thought it was so beautiful. It was it's so high up there in my in my ranking. Of course, you can never forget Yosemite, but I mean g- coming back so not not just the west coast but just the middle of the country you're talking about the rockies you're talking about grand teton and the other ones i say grand teton's ranks really high up there for me yeah so tell us a little bit about grand tetons what can we expect from this episode Hmm, well we have a history can you believe it believe it or not life in the tetons does date further back than before Quentin Tarantino showed up with Christoph Waltz and Jamie Foxx to film Django Unchained. I thought they built them for Django. No, they 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 were there, but I'm pretty sure Quentin was. You can say that he discovered it 2012. No one knew. No one knew about the Grand Tetons back then. All right. Well, there you go. But that isn't just the only thing. That's it should make it a brief history. To, to make it very brief. But I was able to dig up a little bit more than just that. So. Long before he'd come there, or any white people really would show up in the area, there's evidence that the region, which holds both the park and the gateway town, of course, Jackson, had a paleo-Indian presence dating back to more than 11,000 years. Okay, that was way too many words. You gotta dumb it down for me, girl. I'm gonna go by, you know, each each year one by one and describe what happened. (laughs) Please, are we done with the history yet? This is already too long. Just kidding, I will not go into each year one by one, but to get into some proper nouns, you know, some proper nouns, the natives living there way back when were said to be associated with the Clovis culture. Clovis. Clovis? Clovis. I had a teacher named Clovis one time. Miss Clovis, she was a huge fucking bitch, but you know, whatever. And there's there's also the name Clovis is, pops up in Game of Thrones when the Onion Knight said, this is my son Clovis. I don't remember that at all. He was talking about Gendry. To this oh, you talk, you're talking about, uh, what's his name? Um, um, uh, good guy, good guy. <laughs> Davos. Yeah, Davos, Sir Davos, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. He he said Clovis, so that's where the name pops up. But this is talking about Native Americans, so not that. So apparently, we know it's from that culture because of some of the recovered artifacts. They used obsidian all of that showed up on the Snake River, which runs through the area. So we know that that's uh, who they were thousands of years ago. Okay, but great. We'll jump. We'll jump. We will jump many, Thank many you. years. Uh, and by the 19th century, 
when American colonists would first enter the region, the only remnants of native of a native presence that were even there were from the eastern tribes of the Shoshone people, who actually didn't even live there. They lived in great in the greater Yellowstone region, which is further north. So there weren't there wasn't even much going on there by the time white people would arrive. You know, it's shocking because that was like the most beautiful area. Why would you go to Yellowstone? I think that they, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously the land gets more boring, gets more flat. So maybe that's like cooler, a better, more inhabitable, habitable region to live in. I'm not too certain. I guess. Anyway, roll hypothesis. right along here. Let's, let's bang through this. So with not much doing in the way of immediate native presence, you already know that Jackson Hole and the Teton region has already primed itself for white settlement. So in that case... The story begins in the early 1800s with a man by the name of John Coulter. So, who like was John Ann Coulter? Coulter? Like Ann Coulter, her husband, who lived back then. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, John himself, he lived quite an interesting life, and he's best known for joining the Lewis and Clark expedition in 1804, um, which is just an interesting aside, because I did some research on that expedition, just do, going through this, and it's kind of a fucking ripoff that it was named the Lewis and Clark Expedition after reading how many people went on that expedition. In my mind, it was like if you went on a class field trip and you named it after yourself, that was what the Lewis Clark Expedition was. Well, you know, we were just out there and we thought it would be fun <laughs> if we just named the whole thing after ourselves and that would be it. <laughs> I mean, if we went with our friends to like the mall, like like say there were ten of us, and we just named it the Jacob and Jeremy Expedition. How about that? Well, it always is. I mean, we're the mm-hmm. stars of the show. We're the main characters, so I guess Lewis and Clark were too. But John is who's important in this story. But that's my rant. So I'll go back to John. He actually went pretty much the entire way with Lewis and Clark, going back all the way to you know California and or whenever wherever they stopped Oregon. I think that was it. And they started heading back east. He actually was given an early discharge to join fur trappers trappers who were heading west in search of beaver pelts. So he got to split up from them and he'd go separate go separate ways. Party. So in 1807 and 1808, his travels took him through Jackson Hole, where he is recorded as being the first Caucasian to see the Teton Range. Well, you know, I'm the first Caucasian to see the Teton Range. And believe me. From what we saw there, there'd be plenty more to come. <laughs> oh, certainly. My God. It's the fucking land of the Caucasians. It might be. It might rank up as one of the whitest places we went, probably. It is extremely white. So white. So white. So when we're talking John Coulter, it's important to remember why he even decided to show up in that ra- up in that area in the first place. That would be for fur trading, not for tourism, but for fur trading. Yeah, we got a lot of this in Idaho. Yes, a lot of fur trading going on in that entire region, not just Wyoming, as you, as you mentioned, Idaho as well. So from the early to mid-1800s, that whole Jackson Hole, Grand Teton region would be first settled by American and French fur trappers who competed for control over the North American fur trade. Right. Okay. Okay. So name-wise, you have to remember one figure just just for the explanation as to why stuff is named the way it is. There was David Edward Jackson – that was the person who oversaw everything, fur trading-wise. And 1826 to 1830, that's how you get Jackson Hole. Okay, there you go. Jackson Hole. You know, is that the same as Pierre's Hole from the last episode? It literally is the same idea. 
so he, they pulled down the pants and yes. they were like, this looks a lot like this Jackson's looks, hole. Yes, the maps okay. look the same shape of your asshole. That's what they would that's what that's how they determined it. Jesus, that was so vulgar, Jeremy. I'm how so could you take sorry. it there? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. I don't know that we weren't talking about that. Never mind. Uh-huh. But okay, so now we're moving on from from fur trading. But you can get the idea. It's a very sparsely populated region up through the 1800s because um, it's built on fur trapping. Who's coming there for you know to live there if you're not into that sort of thing? But people who are into bestiality, yes, and and softness and furs. Okay, well, <laughs> furries. Furries. Could <laughs> <laughs> you imagine if there's like furries running around in the 1800s? They're probably, I mean, you think of these modern things, right? There had to be some sort of variation of that back then. <laughs> oh. So who knows what was going on in the saloons of Jackson Hole back in the 1800s. But that's another story. That's today's God. dark history. Just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> But thanks to the U.S. government, all the focus would shift from fur trapping to the Teton Range itself, the environments, the areas, the beautiful wilderness that, that of course, is in that area. So, two expeditions, the Reynolds Expedition and the Hayden Geological Survey, tried and then eventually failed to find economically viable mineral wealth in the mountains, lakes, and streams of both the Teton and Yellowstone region. So, at the end of the day, it was about making money. Well, isn't everything in this country about making money? Yes, and it wasn't about tourism. It was about finding gold. They really were about, you know, very disappointed to not find anything worth anything in that area. Well, in fairness, Kanye West's ranch is out there. You really think they're going to find something of value? They, They didn't find much of value of anything, anything material, at least. But they found themselves, and they made great friends along the way. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's – well, that was that for those expeditions. They were like, oh, shit. We're not making – we're not making any money in material out here. So by the 1920s, though, people were like, oh, this place is pretty cool. It's pretty all right, you know, just spend some time, relax. So they built some roads to accommodate vehicle traffic, and tourism in the area, of course, took off. It was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, see, it's the 1920s, see, and we gotta find the roads and build the things for tourism, see, so you can all go and smoke your camel's cigarettes. Mmm. Yes, yes, and letting all the, you know, the nine-year-olds drive the Model Ts and everything. All that was happening back then. All of it. So, all of it. So we all know the story about Yellowstone, like what's considered to be the first national park. It's right by Grand Tetons. Way to steal my thunder for next episode, Jeremy. (laughs) Jesus Christ. One of the first ones ever. (laughs) Don't forget by next week. (laughs) Oh, my God. But tying into it, what's the deal with Grand Tetons? Why is there two? (laughs) Why are there two that are literally next to each other like that? Because well, the mountains are huge and fucking enormous, and then the, right next to them is a completely different landscape. I think that's a pretty obvious question. Not really, because <laughs> there were uh, there was a lot of plans to actually expand Yellowstone and make it part of uh, make make it make what Grand Tetons would be a national park, but that didn't happen, and there was a bunch of different other. Uh-huh. Uh, p- p- potential plans to make dams in the area, and that honestly 
pissed a bunch of people off, made them very scared. And it wasn't until 1929, after warding off these plans to build a dam and having this Yellowstone plan fail, when Calvin Coolidge would sign an executive order uh, establishing 96,000-acre region for Grand Teton National Park. All so, right. The interesting thing is that John Rockefeller would play a vital role in also further expanding the Grand uh, Grand Teton National Park further because he bought up tens of thousands of acres of land that he would then just turn over the national park pretty much for free I've, from what from what I've read and eventually the park did expand an extra two hundred thousand acres because of the preservation efforts. Thank God for the Rockefellers. Well, that's the first time anyone's ever said that sentence. I mean, that has to be the one lone thing that he has ever done that's like for the good of human society i mean yeah yeah i mean we were driving you can there's a lot of things named after the rockefellers there it's very interesting to see and of course maybe that money just stayed in that area because honestly jackson wyoming itself is very i don't know just felt very bougie very white so his impact is still there you can feel it well i mean i didn't get any of that but if you say so anyway but, you know, that's pretty much it. That's Grand Teton National Park. It's one of the most, 10 most visited national parks in the U.S. And I'd say it's for a good reason. It was so beautiful. Yeah, it is a lovely, lovely place. I really liked how jarring the mountains are there. They're very severe. Yes, I was going to say severe, too. That They really come out of the ground more so than, like, the, I'd say the Rockies, even. Even but those are big <laughs> it's very much like serena cha-cha's makeup like the contour of those mountains is extremely severe it just comes out of the face yeah it just it just really pops um and then jackson itself was very nice too of course pretty crowded it was um, so like the white people energy i got from that town was unbelievable I mean, it's it, yeah, it's it's where you go if you're if you have a little bit of money and you want to have your mountain fantasy getaway with you with, you know, your your soccer van and you're a soccer mom. You go there. Sure. I just I think I I don't know, like it seemed very much like a white people place to me, which I didn't yes. love about the vibe. Right. No, it didn't seem too uh, diverse. And, um, you know, we were only contributing to it because we are also white. Well, way to expose me. They have no clue what race I am behind the microphone. They don't know. They don't look at any of the photos. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, those photos will be available anyway on our social media. I'll plug yep. it again. Road Boys so, podcast. Yes, there's plenty there because it was beautiful. And honestly, um, you could spend, I don't know, a good a good few days there doing trails, um, maybe going on, on on the lake. I mean, it's very serene once you get into the park, really. Yeah, certainly. So I think if you, you know, have some spare time, find yourself in Wyoming, uh, I'd say that's a good place to go. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, there is, I've looked into this, so I think we can get right into the dark history because I looked into this place a good bit. I really okay. scoured it. I really scoured it for anything bad that has happened in Jackson, Wyoming. Um, and that or, of course, the Grand Tetons themselves. Uh, and historically, I was honestly a little bit surprised by how, by how peaceful and not really 
uh, much doing there was in that department in both those places. So doesn't surprise I, me. I mean, I yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty I mean, boring place. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it it's the Wild West. Who knows what kind of happened out there? But Nothing. so you have. I don't know. So you have your history of cattle thieves. That's that's was brought up repeatedly in the articles that I read from cattle thieves. And then beyond that, there wasn't too much more. So you have this one little spot called Dead Man's Bar off the Snake River. The reason why it's named Dead Man's Bar. Uh, short story. Uh, four gold prospectors were there, and uh, one one of them killed all three in self defense because greed and money and gold. But that's a good idea. I mean, that's what I would do. That's that, though. I mean, that's, of course, you know, what anyone would do. So so it makes it, you know, is it not, is it really dark history worthy for the week? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Sorry, what did you find? God. (laughs) Instead, we'll talk about a Wyoming based dark history, which will feature the town of Jackson for a short part of it. It's a story that's been given plenty of screen time in movies and television. This is the saga of one of Wyoming's most famous outlaws. Robert Leroy Parker, and if you don't know who that is, you're gonna know pretty soon. Okay, um, what what movies and TV? Well, I don't want to give his. I don't want to give his. Well, the name is you know it's it's a different name than Robert Leroy Parker, so I don't want to give that away. I'll give I'll, I'll I'll get to it in a second. Oh my God! Come on, the suspense is killing the, me. Oh, you'll see, you'll see. It happens pretty soon. All right, so, get into it. Born in 1866 to Maxie and Anne Gillies Parker, the first of their 13 children, so God, that's a huge family, Robert, who goes by Roy, suffered through years of hardship with his family, which struggled to get by financially. So, in 1879, the Parkers would move to a homestead in Circleville, Utah, where Roy would meet a local ranch hand named Mike Cassidy. Okay. We're getting there. It sounds After, like one of those prank names. I don't know why. It's like it's almost like Mike Hunt, you know? Yes, Mike Mike Cast. Mike Cassidy. Mike Cassidy. Can, can you say Mike Hunt for me, please? Mike Hunt. Can you say it quickly? Mike Hunt. Can you say it quicker than that? Mike <coughs> Hunt. Uh one more time. M Hunt. Oh, my God. It's just Mike Cunt, all right? Mike Cunt. <laughs> mm, okay, well, there you go. That's, I guess that's one way you could say it. <laughs> so after teaching Roy how to ride, rope, shoot, and perhaps most significantly, how to rustle livestock, the young Roy was so impressed by Mike that he decided to take his last name. So now we have a Roy Cassidy. Roy Cassidy. Roy Cassidy. It's still not ringing a bell for not, me. I hope it rings a bell when I when I when I, when he changes his first name, but eventually that'll happen very soon. Okay. By the time he was eighteen, Roy left home and left his ma- and made his way rather to the Wyoming territory, where he would then hone his cattle rustling skills. So, I don't right. know. I don't know much about what goes in the cattle rustling and how you go about doing it successfully, but apparently it does involve establishing hideouts, which is exactly what Roy did along the borders of Wyoming, Colorado, and Utah, presumably, I guess, to hide, to hide cattle. What is this, the Brokeback Mountain story? Yeah, he's, he's doing it all by himself out there, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah. Probably a lot of nice splendor out there, you know, some nice scenery for him. Sure. 
So with Roy's cattle rustling gig going strong, it was time for him to expand his operations. In June of 1889, it is largely suspected that he did participate in a bank robbery in Telluride, Colorado. So there begins his life of crime. Okay. so the man's making a, a a living for himself. He's living free. He, and all of a sudden, he purchased a stolen horse from a rustler named Billy Rutcher. And then he was snitched on and he was turned over into the authorities. So Roy is now going to prison. Well, you know, shit. <laughs> That's I bad know. for Roy. Bad for Roy. But, you know, 1894, he'd prove himself to be a model prisoner when he gets sentenced to the Wyoming State Penitentiary. By now, he is going by the nickname of Butch. So Butch Cassidy, if you know if you know Butch Cassidy. Butch Cassidy, sure. You know, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh-huh. Okay. So <laughs> that's it. This is a story of Butch Cassidy. This is this is me pretending that I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> What would I know, I know much, this from? <laughs> it's a famous. There's a famous movie. They made TV shows about him. They did what TV shows? Butch Cassidy the documentary. Oh, that's not a TV show. <laughs> I don't know. He's in a lot of different things, but I think the movie's very famous. It has Paul Newman in it. I think it won Oscars. 1969. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I yeah. skipped that year on my oh, cinematic okay. viewing. Okay. Okay. Well, that's this is this is his story, Butch Cassidy. So he starts his sentence in Wyoming State Penitentiary, but he conducts himself as a model prisoner. So his behavior, apparently, and his intelligence and charisma said charisma in- impressed Judge Jesse Knight so well the authorities began to see Roy not as like a you know like like a nice guy, but as a threat because he was so smart. But despite their suspicions. Je- Judge Jesse Knight organized the early release and a pardon for Butch, which was signed by William Richards, the governor of Wyoming. Oh, my goodness. He got the governor on his case. Wh- how did he do that? I don't know. Well, the judge obviously knew Butch. And then I think the governor, the governor had nothing to do. He was the governor of Wyoming in the 1800s. So maybe that's was true. Like- <laughs> there was nothing going on in Wyoming then. So, yes, he gets the attention of the governor, but I guess that's maybe not too much of a a feat in that case. So, releasing Butch Cassidy from prison turned out to be a big mistake, because this is really what what launches him into folklore and his legend. Big mistake. Huge. Huge. And guess what? He was never dealt with. So, in the months following his release... He formed a gang known as the Cassidy Gang, or the Wild Bunch, and in the process, he became one of the most successful robbers in his of, of his era. So, he's just stealing all this shit. He's making out like a bandit, which he is. Well, the so, governor must have felt fucking stupid after that. Oh, yeah, so many people did. And, you know, this is the open land, so, like, no one's, like, able to catch him. He's just chilling wherever he can move freely and nothing stopping him so he makes a bunch of friends with ranchers by paying off their mortgage and his gang used hideouts that they basically paid off uh the ranchers uh, for all over arizona utah wyoming even south dakota to plan their robberies and safeguard their earnings so they just have all this plate all these places to hide yeah why haven't they made a modern movie about this 
I don't know. I feel like Butch Cassidy and a Sundance Kid, that's definitely a movie that will, that can certainly be remade. If they were going to be, be remaking West Side Story, why not, <laughs> why not I wanna, this one? I want to see Laura Dern as Butch Cassidy. That would be a, a cool gender-bending role for sure for her. She could probably do it well. But yes, I that 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 is that that is what they were doing, and maybe we'll see a movie based out of it. So you can find many a story about the Wild Bunch's Wyoming stagecoach robberies, but there was one that really secured Butch Cassidy and his gang a spot in U.S. crime history and made him a legend of the Wild West. That is the Wilcox robbery. Oh, Wilcox. Yeah, it's the Wilcox robbery. I like it because it has the word Cox in it. Yes, it has the word <laughs> Cox in it. It does. <laughs> You're very, very funny. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> it is funny. Um, so, yes, on June 2nd, on a spot near the town of Wilcox, Wyoming, the Wild Gang seized and commandeered a train, forcing it to pull over by a bridge. So, with the train stopped, they blew open a baggage car with just an ex- with just just a massive amount of dynamite. Um, it effectively, basically, made the car a skeleton. It blew the roof off, the sides out, and debris apparently landed 150 yards away. So now, what we're gonna do here is cause this year massive explosion. All right. Exactly, and and then we're gonna see what we can get from there. It's, it's gonna lucky. be the biggest explosion you goddamn eyes have ever seen. It probably would have been just from the way 150 yards away. That's, that's pretty impressive. Eighteen hundreds. We're talking about open area. That's pretty. That is that is impressive. The whole thing must have been a fucking stick of dynamite. Yes, I mean, they said they, the article just went on about how excessive the amount was, so <laughs> it's like they really it's used like, too much. <laughs> it's like one of those explosions where they show it from like 15 different angles happening at one, <laughs> like, it just like keeps going. Yes, I'm sure it would have been like, the way I can think about it is, you know, there's that explosion in El Camino, that's yes. probably it's probably like that. If you've watched, if any of our listeners have watched El Camino, think of something like that. That's probably what it looked like. So, despite that massive explosion, though, the fifty thousand dollars in gold, cash, and jewelry that the Wild Gang would actually be able to steal all remained intact, and it was in that car that exploded. So it's very lucky that they were able to recover some st- like stuff like that. Oh wow! So they were successful, and importantly. What they stole was meant for paint for the payment of troops in the Spanish-American War. So that would really piss off the fact that it was stolen. It would piss off the governors of Wyoming, Colorado, and Utah, and even President McKinley himself when he heard word about this. No, oh, William McKinley, our yes. first assassination. Yes, he would be extremely pissed that this stuff was stolen. Um, now, what's a little bit up in the air is the extent to which Butch himself participated in the Wilcox robbery. Um, if he was there, he left apparently separately from his men, which in hindsight was a really good idea for him. So, Well, you know what I say, innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty. I honestly think Butch, all in all, may have done some bad things, but I think he's a pretty... He he is like an, anti, like an, like an anti-hero. He isn't... He isn't all bad. He isn't all good, you know? 
So he's kind of what I view O.J. Simpson as. Yes, O.J. and so many other people in history. Not all bad, not all good, you know? But it's sometimes more good in the case of O.J. Yes. O.J.'s the exception there. He's more of the hero. The juice is loose, baby. Juice is loose. He's probably playing golf as we we speak right now. So, in the aftermath of the robbery... Hundreds of men funded by the Union Pacific Railroad would go on the hunt for members of the Wild Gang and, of course, Butch Cassidy himself. So they would never find Butch, but a shootout did occur between gang members and their pursuers in which Converse County Sheriff Joe Hazen would be mortally wounded. So there you go. You have a death. Um, And in this shootout, it happened north of Casper, Wyoming. So we are, in fact, getting closer to Jackson Hole. Well, there you go. All right. (laughs) I want to tie it all in. But ultimately, those involved in the robbery, they would actually escape law enforcement and they would escape successfully with the money in hand. So they've made a profit doing this. So whether Butch Cassidy participated in the Wilcox robbery or not, he was now labeled as a national terrorist. uh, And they put bounties on his head upwards of $18,000. So. It's a shit ton of money back then. I think that's a little excessive for like national terrorist terrorist status, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that the, that the government even gave that classification to people back then, a national terrorist. But yeah, I don't know, a national terrorist to the authorities, but the common man, I think he's a good guy. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So after successfully robbing another train near the town of Tipton, Wyoming, and stealing another fifty to $100,000, Butch decided to get the hell out of the country. He was done. In it's 19- a good move. Yeah, it's a good, very good move for him. I think that, you know, he wouldn't want to stay much longer. So in 1901, he sailed from New York. He, I don't know how, how he didn't get caught, but he made it to New York. And he sailed with his partner, Harry Longabaugh, who is known as the Sundance Kids. So, of course, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And they sailed to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Wow, could you have said that any whiter? Buenos Buenos Aires, Argentina. <laughs> he went to Buenos Aires. <laughs> so there are a bunch of different endings to Butch's story. One account placed him uh, in Bolivia with the Sundance Kid, where the two where the two men got into a gunfight with local police and ended up killing each other after realizing that, you know, their luck had run out. So that's one version of the story. Then other reports, uh, including those of his girlfriend and even some family members, say that he actually returned to Wyoming in the 1920s. Um, and this is and this is and this is where I will tie everything in. If he did in fact come back, there are reports of him probably going through the Teton Pass and making a stop in Jackson Hole to visit an old friend named Burt Charter, and that is your tie-in there. He existed in that place. Well, there you go. You tied it in. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So that is the story of Butch Cassidy, and his name is one that is etched into Wyoming history, of course, the ones that we all know, and, of course, Western folklore. And of course, the one I'd never heard of. So there you have it. You don't know Wyoming history? How do you not know your Wyoming history? Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. All right. That was a good dark history. And that leads us to our fan question of the week, which I have gathered for you. Oh, it's, what did you find? What did you comb through? 
Well, this week in the inbox, we got one from Suitcase Lover 449. And the question was, Mm -hmm. what are your favorite types of candy? Oh, good question. What are your favorite types of candy? Hmm. Well, I think that the value of any candy goes up to me if there's some form of chocolate in it. I don't know. Okay, so most candies. No, so that does eliminate like Skittles or like smarties yeah i would say i like chewy i like creamy and you know what has all that milky ways like maybe milky milk. ways oh my god those are the worst ones jeremy i think that those are quite good i like the oh uniformity my. of the flavor i like i had them in camp and i think the affinity for them stuck you know every oh. other day a milky way Oh, that is the worst answer you could have given to that question. That's like saying milk duds. Milk duds? Nah, nah. Milk duds are pretty bad. Milky Ways, though, they are just a delicacy unlike any other, you know? They are terrible. The wor- I mean, a Snickers like is much Snickers better than a Milky Way. A Twix is much better than a Milky Way. Twix is good, too. All of these things are better than Milky Ways. Twix is good. And then, of course, you got like just regular chocolate bars, which I don't know, like that's their own classification. But I don't know. I like the uniformity there. Well, what's your answer? What would be yours? Oh, I, I you know, I'm a snob. I like, I like Kinder chocolates oh, from Kinder. Europe. Oh, from yes. Europe. You could have said like Toblerone. Oh, I can only do the massive Toblerones from Costco. <laughs> this, the hexagons. Yeah, they have like hexagons of like 14 Toblerones in one little container. A um, no, I like the Kinder chocolates from okay. Europe. Those are my favorites. Uh, the K- Kinder is quite good. Not like a Milky Way, though. Not, not nothing. They're much taste. better than your fucking Milky Ways. That is, to, I can't believe that's your answer. I'd like to revise it to Milky Way Midnight's Dark Chocolate. Okay, that's <laughs> enough. That's that's maybe worse. So there you have it. That was our fan question of the week. Thank you, Suitcase Lover four four nine. Thank you so much, Suitcase Lover. Hope you find your suitcase love. All right. Well, if you have a fan question, a comment, a concern, a death threat, anything like that, make sure you email us at roadboyspodcast mm. at gmail.com. Yes. That's about it for me this week. You have anything else, Jeremy? Um, did you not see the three death threats that we received in the inbox this week? No. What did we have? Well, they wanted one was again very concerning. It's the same one about the biological, you know, thing where they would release like give us like poison us with ricin. Other one oh was my a, god, that's so exciting! That one, that one's been repeated a bunch of times, and I'm kind of concerned about that. But another, a couple of the other ones were just a bit too um, mundane, I'd say. So like assassination attempts, guns, and a knife. Um, but you know, excited this. All right. More. That's fantastic. We love our fans. Thank you so much the uh, for listening, of course. Next week, we will be off, as a reminder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the week after, we will return to you we'll be on. with another episode that I definitely now am realizing I'm going to have to struggle to find a dark history oh, for. Oh, I think we'll be just fine. Okay, says the guy <laughs> who doesn't have to fucking research it. That's I wonderful. I got some in my head. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Road Boys, starring Jacob Volati and Jeremy Shapiro as themselves. Produced by Jacob Volati and Jeremy Shapiro. Directed by Jacob Volati and Jeremy Shapiro. And created by Jacob Volati and Jeremy Shapiro. Special thanks to Vlad Glashenko for recording the intro and outro music royalty-free. And Tina Perkins, that's me, for recording promotional content. To learn more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Road Boys Podcast.